Good evening, I'm William Hosea, welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. I might add we've reached somewhat of a pandemic milestone as we broadcast our first live show since February of this year. On that note, on January the 7th, 2020, at 11.24 a.m., the state of Pennsylvania announced that Joe Biden had won the majority vote, effectively ending the presidential race and making him the new president-elect. Despite widespread recognition of his victory by state governments, some current and former Republican congressmen and women, world leaders, major corporations, and even Fox News giving Joe Biden his props as new, the next U.S. president, Donald Trump remains steadfast in his refusal to concede the election. Joe Biden went on to claim victory, but he has a daunting task ahead of him. The country remains bitterly divided. It seems like we're setting new daily records in coronavirus cases, infections, and deaths, and we're facing what some say is the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. To talk about and offer some insight into these issues, we assembled a political aid team from our local community. We have Beverly Calendar Anderson, Director, City of Bloomington Community and Family Resources, Jennifer Crossley, Chair, Monroe County Democratic Party, Shelly Yoder, IU Kelly School of Business and Indiana State Senator-elect, District 40, and Jim Sims, at-large representative, Bloomington City Council. Folks, you know, I, I got to say, y'all have some long, complicated titles. You should be like me and just have something like all-around great guy. But, it's, uh, already, it's already taken. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said something like that. But let me go ahead and uh, jump into the, the first issue that we want to tackle tonight, because we, we have a bunch of them. I mean, the... They're just endless. Joe Biden has openly acknowledged the role of black Americans in helping him to win the election. But black women in particular stand out more than any other voting bloc for Democrats and have done so for a very long time. So he chose Kamala Harris as his running mate and he vowed to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. But is, is this enough or should he go even further? Beverly, how about we start with you? So I think um, he's only been president-elect for about three days, so I, I can't expect a whole lot in that amount of time. But I think even if you look at his coronavirus task force that he appointed, you can see that, that uh, president-elect Biden is committed to diversity. And, and so I think that, you know, is one person as his vice president or one black woman on the Supreme Court, is that enough? No, it's not enough. But I also don't expect him to change the world overnight. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate his um, commitment to diversity. And like I said, looking at that coronavirus task force that he's appointed and, and some of the other things that he's done, I, um, I have faith that that there will be that we will see more diversity on his cabinet and in okay jennifer uh how about you yeah so basically um i'm i'm with beverly uh no <laughs> it's not enough um however I, I do feel as though it's a start. Um, obviously, with him picking Kamala Harris as his vice president, um, that was a start. Uh, how, and he's shown that he is committed to diversity because of um, who he has. Um, he's had Simone Sanders um, that's been helping him. He's also had um, uh, Kareen um, Paul. Um, so she's been helping out as well. But it's been time and it's past time for us to see a black woman on uh, the Supreme Court. And we have shown time and time and time and time again uh, that we are worthy of higher positions. And so 
well, this is a start with, you know, uh, Kamala being the vice president elect. I would love to see um, diversity in black women as a black woman myself. I'd love to see it all up and through the White House, the State House, um, Supreme Court as well. Shelly, you're nodding your head. <laughs> I just couldn't agree more. Of course, it's not enough. We have so much work to do. Yes, I, I am encouraged by a few of these positive steps, but we're going to have to do a lot more work to keep bending that arc of justice. So, Jim, uh, what do you think the role of Black women will be in the Democratic Party or maybe even in politics, generally speaking, going forward? when you think about the work that Stacey Abrams has done. Well, um, if I could just touch on the last question. Um, you, Jim, you can touch on both of them. Well, but thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and I've heard not enough, and I'd almost said never enough, um, but I don't want to use the word never. Um, but I am encouraged um, by President Biden's speech on how he wanted to diverse, uh, diversify or add diversity to his cabinet. Um, and I want, it, this is going to be a work in progress. I want many of us to know that even President Obama was limited because uh, there was an opposite party majority um, in the Senate, um, if, if, I, if I recall correctly. Um, I'm not so sure if it was in the House or not, but I think it's important that Joe Biden has, has shown in the past and has pledged to work across the aisle. There has to be some compromise somewhere to get it. Um, and I'll leave it with this, until we have dismantled um, the historical uh, racist situation, um, nothing is, and, and we get full equity, racial equity, social equity, it's never gonna be enough. So until the entire process is dismantled and reformed. Um, okay, so that's that. Um, the impact on the black women, I believe it was the next question. The role, the role going forward. Well, I think um, as, as um, Chair Crossley stated, that black women, well, and, and women in particular, um, over time, but black women have shown that we're ready, or they are ready and capable to hold other positions, um, and and do them well. Um, so when we we talk about um, um, Stacey Abrams and, and folks like that. It's mobilizing um, the will of the people. Um, I was looking for other statistics to compare 2020 with 2016. Um, there's a couple of things we'll talk about today and had certain percentages. And I was looking to, to get a good baseline to try to compare in the past. Um, and this is, and I just really didn't, maybe I'm not good at searching well enough. Um, but even at the last election, it was the block of black women that really carried and almost helped get, um, uh, uh, almost forgot her title, Secretary of State um, Clinton over the hump, you see. So this is not new. Right. Um, this has been more historical. Um, the roles coming up, as you even look in our county, and we see um, Chair Crossley, we see, um, and I like to call them the two Nicoles, um, Nicole Bolden and Nicole Brown. Um, I'll even humbly throw myself in there. But I think this community is ready. And I think those are in these positions have shown that they're very capable um, working across the aisle, if you will, compromising, um, giving up a little bit to get more for the masses. And I think that's what's important. And women are just up and coming, and particularly black women. Uh, we look across the country. Um, I wish I could see more of that in our own state, but we're even doing not too badly there in our Democratic districts. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the role. It will definitely, one thing I don't want us to do is say, you know, black women's going to carry thing and then we forget the black men and we forget other people of color. Um, I think we got to be real careful um, going down that path, but yeah, but I, but I think one of the things that I recognize, I, and I don't have data to prove it, I just know it in my heart, 
um, is that Black women have been the backbone of the Democratic Party for a long time. I yes. even remember growing up, you yes. know, is that it, it was Black women that were... Um, now it's just that recognition where we are now party chairs or vice presidential candidates or um, campaign managers. But, you know, the precinct captains and the people getting out the vote and the folks working the polls and, and the people telling their, telling their families how to vote because, you know, it's, yeah. it's usually the moms in the house that are, that are, you know, telling folk what to do. And, and so black women have been that backbone for the party for a long time. And it's just now that we're becoming more visible. So, and so that, and that doesn't, that doesn't um, say that black men haven't been a part of that, you know, but, but I think black men, black women more so. You know, and I think we all, not all of us, um, but I think you make a good point, Beverly, that historically we have been there for many, many, many years. Um, but I'm also cautious and I don't think anyone has, but I don't want to take the black women block, uh, the black women push, um, the black women support for granted. Mm -hmm. um, we heard a lot about suburban housewives um, and, and focusing on that group. We heard a lot about different other demographics. Um, and we, we finally are starting to get acknowledged uh, the role of the black women, but I just don't want that taken for granted, which it, in my mind, it has been to a certain extent in the past. Yeah, you, I hear you. No, Jim, you started to sneak into my next question a little bit. Um, I was going to mention black men in this election, 20% of whom voted for Donald Trump this time around. So that was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. And I, I kind of wonder if those rappers who, who came onto the scene in the final few weeks had something to do with that. But Contrast that to uh, black men still voted for Biden at a higher rate than any other group of men. So, you know, we made uh, two different points there. And I, I really don't know how to uh, how, how to interpret that. Anybody? I would like to say... Um first and foremost if i can just kind of squeak back just a little bit um my grandmother is 97 years old she'll be 98 in january um and that little lady uh, back in my hometown of gary has continued to make sure that we all voted and made sure we got that man out of office so if i did not do what i needed to do <laughs> i would have to hear from my grandma but uh, um again going back to black women and then I'll go into like what we can, uh, as far as black men, um, black women have shown time and time and time and time and time again, um, that we continue, like even in our darkest hour when everybody thought Georgia wasn't going to go the way that it was going. And then it was like the heaven gates open. And we realized that what Stacey Abrams had done, um, and Latasha Brown with black voters matter has done, um, with mobilizing and energizing voters. I think Stacey Abrams had over 800,000 um, registered voters that she did. That is amazing. Um, and so it is, again, past time that we recognize Black women. And I mean, look at what happened with Doug Jones. Unfortunately, he lost this time around. Um, but when it was time for us to or go in the voting booths down in Alabama, that's what we did. And so going back to um and now going to the point of how black men voted um and 20 percent voted for donald trump we got to talk to those 20 percent because i don't know what's going on but that brings me to my point maybe we have not we've taken black men for granted as mm -hmm. well i think we just assume that we just go to the barbershop and talk to them and and all of those things that it, it's okay but just like black women, how we continue to do the outreach, I think we also have to look collectively at black men and black women together um, and see what we haven't done. I think honestly, um, you know, the Democratic Party nationally, I think we can do a better job with that and have a clearer message. Um, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about, you know, with the crime bill that Joe Biden, you know, was a part of. Maybe that was one of the reasons, main reasons why black men decided to vote for Trump, even though 
we know what he stands for and I have no reason why we would have done that um however again that brings me to the point of outreach has not been enough we continue to put forth like we we've had powerful black women to go into spaces and you know bring the black women in but how many times have you seen like besides president obama um and you know to mobilize black men uh, jim clyburn saved joe biden mm-hmm. um as much as he did and so it's like okay those are a couple of examples but how many more do we have um within our party that we can truly do the outreach where we could be talking to them and bring them in and let them know that in addition to black women um we're listening to you as well so i think after this election it's a it's a lot of strategizing and thinking of what we did we could have done better and what we do going forward yeah i want to interject just one thing and on friday the democratic caucus for the state senate did something remarkable and we elected it's not remarkable it's not remarkable it's it's a crying it's 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 actually quite terrible but it's great what happened and that is senator greg taylor from indianapolis was voted as our minority leader the first black man to be in this position and guess who's the assistant minority leader senator Eddie Melton from Gary. And then we have our first uh, gay man who is elected to the minority caucus chair. And that is exciting. Um, I'm honored to serve as the assistant minority chair, uh, but the leadership, uh, we elected our first Muslim state senator, uh, the Democrats did, to the Indiana State Senate. Fatty Kudora. And so, you know, even in our state where it was definitely too, too, too red, there, things are changing yeah. and they have been changing and it's past due. But I was encouraged by what we saw on Friday that it's, you know, it, we're headed in a, a better, a better direction. Aren't those demographics in the Indiana State Senate kind of similar to the U.S. State Senate where Democrats are making these first in diversity and Republicans are pretty much uh, maintaining their status quo? And Democrats elected the first Muslim congresswoman. I think, and Republicans just ain't having it. Well, we're excited about the diversity of our caucus, and we're only going to grow that. And one thing that Senator Melton said uh, uh, when when they were, you know, talking about uh, what they would do and their vision for uh, for the party. What I appreciated, because I learned from him, and I always do, is he said, you know, up in Lake County, we don't really identify with the word Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. And I I just, I'm, I've really been chewing on that for the last several days. Well, actually, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I've actually spoken to this. Like, what what does it mean to the, that, that word Hoosier? I think it's it's a... It's a very white word. Well, and Indiana is still a very white state. So, <laughs> but um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. But I, I think that talking about Eddie Melton and the um, the chairperson, I'm sorry, I, Greg, I forgot Taylor. the last name, Taylor. You know, I think just as we talk about Kamala Harris and we talk about how much representation matters, when we're talking about black men, I think we also need to talk about representation matters. And so when people start to see more African-American, Hispanic, gay, whoever it is, men in leadership positions, then, then you may see more African-American men then voting. I mean, I, I I heard and I can't remember what I was listening to is that there is a block of black men that usually vote conservative, that they are just conservative voters 
anyway. And so that this 20% wasn't as bad as it really seemed because there was going to be that block that were gonna vote conservative, whether it was Trump or not. Um, but, and so I don't think 50 cent or whoever that guy with the braids is had much to do with that. That, that is not who people take their political advice from. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just think that there's that, you know, some people tend to be more conservative, but I also think that when people are talking to, when black women are talking to black women, when black men are talking to black men, then there becomes that level of understanding and that level of, they, they know what I mean. You know, sometimes there are things that go unsaid, but the meaning is still there. I don't have to use words. You just know what I need and what I mean. And so um, I, I think seeing those men in leadership positions and others um, will be helpful. You know, Bev, I, I could see 20% of black men voting for um, someone like George Bush or even John McCain. But what I cannot understand is that percentage of black men voting for someone who cheer on the police after they murder a black man, who support them and have them uh, have these racist people speaking at some of these events? Well, you know, we are not a monolith, William. Uh, we, we come from everywhere and, and have all different kinds of beliefs. I mean, I saw um, just Kenneth Copeland was in a church trying to pray away Joe Biden out of the presidency yesterday. And there was a black man there cheering him on. I mean, you know, just cheering him on. And so it's it's out there. Um, and what I will say is that when George Bush was running, you would not have understood that black man that voted for George Bush. George Bush looks so much better right now than he did when he was running for president. So, um, so I don't think I would have understood it then, but yeah, you make a good point. But as much as I oppose George Bush, I never thought the man was a racist. Well, William, before we go there, if, if at all possible, um, and I'd like to thank Senator Yoder. I'll never get tired of saying that um, for sharing us the, inf the information about um, um, Greg Taylor. Um, and we've worked with the, the Black Democratic Legislative Caucus over the years, Sheriff Shire and others. Um, so very well deserving. And um, all I can say, it's about time. Um, now, back to what we were talking about. I'm not a political analyst, um, and I lean toward um, what Chair Crossley says. You just wonder why. Um, and then Ms. Candler Anderson said, you know, we're not a monolith. And I think that's important. Um, I was wondering what was the percentage of black men who voted for Trump in 2016? See, to me, that's a good comparable there and forms more of a baseline. Um, and there are, speaking of not being in a monolith, there are many, many other things. Now, they may not register with us, and I, I'm like, you did what? Um, but I've talked with several black men, and, and this is not a majority by any means, but some have indicated that they were happy with the way their investments and Wall Street and the economy, even though everything else was falling apart, um, many were happy with the economy or what they thought their place um, in this society is. Um, now, even with, even if 20% of the black men, and if that's true, uh, voted for Trump, that's just part of the record numbers of those in the history of this country that have voted and the record number of them that voted for a single candidate in President Biden. So I don't want to whitewash that percentage. I'd like to dig more into it because I have the feeling that there's many more factors involved that would lead to that. Um, and I'd also like some verification on that 20% myself too. Um, I don't have a reason to doubt it, but that just don't quite seem. Well, that seems to be the number. That, that does. It does. That's hard. I'm like Jennifer. That's hard for me to believe. <laughs> so I just Googled because I've been sitting here. So um, I forgot it grew from 2016 to 2018. Mm -hmm. um, my sources that I just looked at showed 18% of black yeah. men voted for Trump um, in 2016. Yeah. But to Beverly's point, when she said, you know, I wonder if rappers made a difference like Lil Wayne, um, who's been gone to me, in my opinion, when he said what he said about Black Lives Matter. 
um, him, 50 Cent, Ice Cube, that all of a sudden want to come out now when, you know, people have been doing this work for a long time, just goes to show you that all skin folk ain't kin folk. Well, and money and money talks to a lot of people. And I don't believe that there was not some remuneration for that support. You know, that's I don't have any proof. That's just me, my opinion, not the city of Bloomington. But, um, (laughs) you you know, I just believe it. Well, but I I think it will be uh, as we move forward to look into that more from a more political, analytical viewpoint. to, to maybe break it down a little bit to, you know, just to see, just for my information. Um, I'm not so interested, again, not being a monolith, I'm not interested to say my goal is to go out and change those 20% black men's mind. Um, I mean, I like to sit down and talk with them, but that's, I, I want to know why. I want to know why, you know, why, why 20% when we all know um, what voting for Trump represents. Yeah. Well, when you think about an 18 or 19 year old young black man who uh, definitely hasn't reached full maturity, young and very impressionable at that age. And these rappers and celebrities have a lot of sway on those types of young minds. So I I guess, Jim, going back to what you said, um, the question would be how many of that group made up that 20 percent? Well, I think that's right, that demographic. And I'd like to know what that 20% was made up of from different demographics. Okay, but again, not, 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 dispu- out for you not disputing that, that, not disputing that number, but uh, what, what was the demographic from those 18 to 25? And let me, let go ahead, Barry, uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to use my family as an example. I mean, because I think Ice Cube, Lil Wayne, 50 Cent, we know who they are. Those younger people, they, like you said, been gone. I mean, they don't, you know, their history, like, you know, they're the history makers. And so I think the people in that younger, younger age group, like my stepson is 35, 36, just didn't vote. He was like, there was no choice. I have no choices here. This is not going to affect my life. I'm not voting. And there was nothing anybody could say to make him vote. I made a point to say that's my stepson because my step my son voted, but um, but my but but my stepson, you know, it was just like he didn't feel like there was any choice for him at all, you know, whether it was Biden or it was Trump, it was an old white man and it was all the same to him. And so I think that's the group. If there is a group that we can pull in and a, and a group that we can influence, that's the group to be influenced. Um, are those people that are not voting? I, that twenty percent. I, I'm, I'm just not sure who they are, but um, but yeah, that, that group that's not voting at all that I think are more influenced by a rapper or something like that. Yeah. I, back to William, your question about the role that Stacey Abrams played in Georgia. I think the lesson of what we can do in Indiana, I mean, I just seeing some of these maps and realizing it was turnout in, I mean, it wasn't the whole state. It was different pockets and the huge difference that it made in these pockets. And it's this kind of outreach that I look, that I'm going to make sure that I am part of, that I'm doing that work throughout the state of Indiana. Because it is, it is, it is watching or just being part of and encouraging and supporting and moving in that direction because if senator melton says you know up in lake county they don't really connect with the word hoosier then we then we need to then then we're not doing our jobs then we're not doing that outreach and we we can do more because i think what you know beverly is saying is absolutely spot on and that is they're just not hearing something that they say, I, I see myself in that. Mm-hmm. I see myself here, and this is important to me. Before so, we go on to uh, the next uh, part of the discussion, Jennifer, you and I both are from Gary. And it kind of uh, set with me when <laughs> Shelly said, when, when you quoted, what, who was it, Senator Melton said that? Yes. Or Senator Taylor. Mm-hmm. 
And I started, while you were saying that, I started reflecting back on my days growing up in Gary. And then the time after I left. What I remember is when Gary started to go into economic decline, uh, beginning with Mayor Hatcher, uh, who Aww. Scott King after that, uh, Barnes. It seemed like every time I called home and my family was telling me about some new initiative that the, the city wanted to do, it was shut down from Indianapolis. They, they ran interference uh, and, and blocked a whole lot of money that was, that was targeted for Gary and just allowed it to go into further decline. And so people that live up in Lake County felt isolated. I mean, it's no wonder they didn't feel like they were part of this big Hoosier uh, fantasy. What, what do you think, Jennifer? Still do. So, A, number one, still, um, I, I think they still don't feel a part of it because as many times that I've heard, if you even go back and look at, like, how the school corporation basically has been defunded and dismantled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's just ridiculous uh, that that has happened. And it's also a shame. And so I, I back and I reflect on, you know, basically every single last one of the schools that I went to from elementary, middle and high school are now gone. They're not open anymore. They're done. Um, but Gary, ever since like the mid to late 90s, has always felt like it's the redheaded stepchild of Indiana. And so we don't feel as though that people have any kind of interest. Um, because they continue to feel like, oh, we they do it to themselves with the the leadership that they put in. The leadership is corrupt and all of these things. But uh, oh, and uh, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Gary, Indiana, that's something that you can do. Well, heck, if we don't have the boots or the straps to go along to pull it up, how are we supposed to do this? And so it's going to have to take leadership um, from the state house, in particular, a governor that actually cares. Um, and wants to make a difference, not just for half of the state or, you know, this part of the state, but for all of the state, which does include Lake County, which does include our hometown of Gary. It's sad and it just, we, it's been time. And, you know, that I wish that would have been with Dr. Myers and a Linda Lawson um, ticket. And unfortunately, that didn't go in the favor that we wanted to. But yeah. it's something that I know that, you know, um, Senator Yoder um, and the rest of you know the people that we elected in our state house will hopefully work towards that. You, know, you make a good point when they say pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but then they slice your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. um, for our listening audience, we're speaking with Beverly Calendar Anderson, Director, City of Bloomington Community and Family Resources. Resources. Um, Shelly Yoder, IU Kelly School of Business and Indiana State Senator. Jennifer Crossley, Chair, Monroe County Democratic Party. And Jim Sims, at-large representative, Bloomington City Council. So I have another question that I want to throw out there. What can Joe Biden do to start healing the country? Good question, right? It's a very good question. Um, and I think if... At, at least to this point, I think he started right down the right path. Um, when you make a statement and say, and, and I believe he means it in his heart, this isn't about red states, it isn't about blue states, it's about being an American. Um, and that's what he intended to represent. Um, now, those are going to be challenges, trust me, um, on trying to work across the aisle and in particular with some of the rhetoric that I'm hearing lately coming. Um, and particularly from the, uh, the far, from the right. Um, but I think he is with, am I getting feedback? Is that me? Um, but at any rate, with him um, representing everyone by adding a, a very diverse cabinet, um, by opening up and considering equity issues that are going to affect black people and minority people and um, other groups. So that's, I think that's important. And that starts the healing process. Um, so I don't know how this is going to go. I, I am proud. Um, to me, it's similar to, and I 
know I probably shouldn't interject this, um, but there's some amazement with Indiana University football team and certain things. But one of the consistent things there is the coach's Leo principle. Love each other. Hmm. And I think if you have that uh, type of platform and you promote it and you motivate others to actually care for each other, this is not red or blue. It's not as much black and white, um, the haves and the have nots. We are all, and we've had this discussion before, in particular here in Indiana, uh, one for all, we're all in this together. I, I guarantee you, many of us never felt that. I mean, it's a nice catchy slogan, um, but many of us never felt that we were all in this together. So I think that's one of the, the best ways that I think President Biden is going to start working on healing this nation, and he will need our help, trust me. Unfortunately, I, I think that there is a, a box that has been opened, a Pandora's box, as it were, of, of people being comfortable with their racism, that it will be really, really difficult to undo. Um, I think the the whole open carrying of guns and the revving people up <clears throat> to um, uh, just be nasty and let their let their racism show and flow um, will be hard to put back. And I think those people of goodwill will continue to be people of goodwill. Uh, but getting you know without some leadership from DC to to turn that around i i don't have a lot of hope that there's a whole lot that can be done in a short period of time i mean i think what he opened up in four years will take decades to put yeah. back okay true confessions here <laughs> i mean i personally am having my own hard time working through these issues with my own family members. Extended family members. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about getting along, I'm having to look just in my own heart and confronting my own frustrations and disbelief. I mean, I just cannot understand and how much this has created tension in my family on both sides, you know, my husband's family and my, my family. So, I mean, I have to do this work myself <laughs> and it is, it's hard. I, it's, I love, you know, I, I, I know our community uh, struggles, um, but I can surround myself with Chair Crossley and Councilman Sims and William and Bever I can surround myself with you. And I think what I'm recognizing in myself is I have to do that work just um, to have these difficult conversations and they are painful. They always end in tears. I'll just tell you, they always end in tears. That's interesting. Well, if I can just add real quick to that, um, just like Joe Biden might not be able to fix it all. And let's just say that he won't be able to fix it all by himself. Um, just like removing Donald Trump from office um, by voting him out or physically removing him because I'm sure it'll be a fight. Um, it is, um, it's not going to remove, you know, the, the hatred and the vile stuff that we have, um, going on. I like to say, and give it to some context here. Um, what happened, um, with after Obama, uh, president Obama got elected, um, y'all know how the brood execute us. Uh, they come out every 17 years, follow me if you will. Um, they come out every 17 years. And so basically what happens is when President Obama was elected, everybody thought that the racism was over. It's done. We now have turned this new leaf. And meanwhile, 
the racists are just like the cicadas where they're just burrowing underneath ground because they're so mad and they're upset and they are just so distraught that a black man could really run this country. And so when President Trump um, got elected as the president of the United States, I can't believe I just made myself say that. Um, so when he got elected, the, the cicadas, AKA the racists, all came out from underground and they're scattered all over the place. So they felt like they had a savior that is speaking to them and speaks their truth to power and that they're all out doing what they need to do. And so they're out. And so now we have to go ahead and get rid of these things um, and do it one by one. It's going to take a system. And just like Beverly said, it's going to take decades for this. So Yes, you know, Joe Biden can have the rhetoric of, you know, wanting to unite um, and bring everybody together, but it's going to take a heck of a lot more than just him and his rhetoric and, you know, him and um, Kamala Harris trying to do this together. It's a start, but it's going to have to continue and it's going to have to personally take that other side, the red side. Um, to actually take a look in the mirror themselves and figure out what they can do about it. Well, that, that that's a major concern. Here's something else to consider, too. You know, even though Trump is gone in January and this guy can wreak plenty of havoc until then, after he goes, and Jennifer, this is what I think you were alluding to, Trumpism lives. While he was in office, Trump took two chambers of the government and he just created an army of uh, tweet cowards and so that type of influence or does that type of influence continue in a post-Trump presidency how much damage can, can they do they're, they're not going to go away quietly but how, how much damage can they do but that's one reason why and, and don't forget this past election, we had the largest voter turnout in our country's history, and 70 million people voted to continue the racism, the hatred, the children in cages. They wanted to keep doing that, and even this terrible, terrible response to the pandemic, who, who does that? Who, who wants to keep going in that direction? nearly half of our country yeah yes nearly half of the country well and another reason why i'd like to break those downs uh, uh, again politically analytically um say that real fast um I, i'm gonna go out on a limb and say this that i think there's some people maybe i'm wrong that voted for trump that do not support um uh, some of the issues of immigration um, that do not support his position on law enforcement or law and order. Um, I think there's enough that there's enough there that they did vote for him, but I want to be careful. I think we're headed down the wrong path that if we say you voted for Trump, you are therefore a racist. I'm not so sure that's going to be very productive. In many cases, it's true, <laughs> as Chair Crossley and, and Beverly said. In many cases, it's true. But I think if you're going to have a sit down um, and try to come to some understanding or a better understanding, um, I think um, if someone says, Jim, you voted for Biden, so therefore you want socialism. You see, nothing can be further from the truth. So I just think there's a little bit of cautious there. Um, but I think the numbers kind of speak for themselves and there's enough there to support um, that position in an argument, William, that you brought up. Okay. Well, you know, you all know Trump fired his Secretary of Defense today. Yes. So well, he, he's continuing were, on with the same type of reckless governance. Go ahead, Beth. No, I was going to say when you were saying how much damage can be done, I mean, you know, we still have a couple of months of him being in office before. I mean, and so damage that can days. be 72. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, there can be a lot of damage done yes. just in those 72 days. And then I think, you know, because he is not recognizing Biden as president and is going to make this a stolen election, he's talking about having more rallies. That will continue after January 20th. 
and mm -hmm. I don't know who will pay for it after January 20th, but it will continue. And, and so all, when you ask if the Trumpism will continue, it will definitely continue because he will keep feeding it. Yes. Um, well, let, let me throw another question out there. So Joe Biden is pretty much universally recognized as the next president. But is there a Barry Goldwater today who can go into the White House and tell this guy it's time to go? The, the, the way they did with Nixon. It, well, let me, I'll give you a hint. It's not Lindsey Graham. You mean someone associated with Trump that's willing or able to go in and tell him to leave? It would have to be a member of his, of his family. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah. I, I don't see that. You That's know? kind of a far-fetched um, concept. It, huh? it's, it's real far-fetched. And I think um, uh, Beverly brought some point as we move forward. Um, I was just listening to some rhetoric from Lindsey Graham um, on this election and that sort of thing. And these are the type of things that are going to persist even after January the 20th. Um, uh, even when it is proven irrefutably um, that, that this is a proper and legal election. Um, there's still going to be that that rhetoric. Um, one of the things is that I found in, uh, not very useful um, in my little short political life is just not to deal with things that just aren't true and not fact-based. And if you want me to argue against an unproven rumor, then you got the wrong guy. Um, so I think that's part of what we're going to have to do is just kind of turn the other cheek, if as it were, um, and look for the positive and you know, look for the facts. You know, that sounds nice, Jim. I know it does. I know <laughs> it does. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I understand that there's the reality. I, I, I but, get that. But I think the reality, too, is that there is going to have to be strategy. I mean, we can't be yes, playing checkers yes. while other folks are playing chess. And, and, and so people are going to have to strategize. And, and truthfully, there will probably need to be some laws passed because where I always believe you can't legislate attitude, you can legislate behavior. And if that means, you know, passing some laws about open carry or passing some, you know, laws about hate crimes and intimidation, I, I think that those are the kinds of things that we will need to advocate for because people have just gotten too bold with the yes. intimidation and then intimidation then feeds into retaliation and then you just got chaos and so um there I, I think we can be nice and 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 we can turn the other cheek if you want to um but you know they're gonna there's gonna have to be some some very strategic thinking done well i have a great way to start we can all say our sort of um, big thank you to stacy abrams and get our butts down to georgia and win Senate races. Yes. That's how we can say thank you to her. And that's how we can begin to just move forward is, you know, making sure that we have this opportunity to really make some significant changes and help Georgia get across the finish line uh, come the first part of January. So maybe you or Jen have some recommendations, not taking over William's job, but if the listeners out there would like to to help in Georgia, like what do they do? How can they do that? So that's a good question because I have been trying to mobilize with my little core group of people because the first thing that we did Thursday um, is all getting like texting groups and going, okay, so Indiana, we're, we're done and obviously there's work to be done here within our own party. Um, how can we go about doing that? How can we put our grassroots efforts um, and party resources, if you will, to go ahead and get there? So I'm, I'm trying to do that so much because those two seats would be critical to yeah. Democrats if we are to get those. And so it's more of, I know we all know people that live in Georgia. I got a whole lot of family that's down there. And we need to make sure um, that those, I think I saw today that the candidates have ways on their website where you can text and phone bank and write postcards from afar for people. But even in here, like being in Indiana, I know it's like Georgia, Indiana, but it, you can do it. Like I've seen countless people that over this past election cycle that were writing postcards to people in South Carolina uh, for Jamie Harrison. 
Um, so there's a lot of things and a lot of ways that we can do this. We just have to, A, know how to do it. So once <laughs> mm-hmm. I figure that out, I'll make sure to, you know, put that out there. But that is something that I would love to do is to make sure that we can help as well, because it's going to collectively take all of us to be able to, um, you know, mobilize and energize people because that same record number of people that came out, they all need to come back again and then some. And that's going to be really critical. And that's going to be a challenging thing for people because it's like, Oh, dang, I got to do it again. Yes, you got to do it again because this is what is at stake. And that's the, I guess for me, my a little frustration sometimes with the Democratic Party's um, message is we have to have a clear message to people and let people know if you go this way, if you don't vote this way, or if you do vote this way, this is how this affects you. Mm-hmm. Make sure you drive that message home. You continue to stick with it. Because we can't come to a 2020 sword fight fighting the same battles that we did like we were in 2018. Yeah. And that That's is true. unfortunately the biggest thing that I see within our party is we have to get better with our messaging. We have to do more outreach. We have to continue to drive it home. And are we really trying to pander to you know Republicans that could be on the fence of being on you know Democratic sides? Or could we be reaching out to some of those 20% of black men or other people so there's a lot that we can do um and there's a lot that we can do from near or far we just have to know how to do it and actually do it well we have about go ahead jim i was gonna say if i could real quickly i'd just like to clarify when um, when i said turn the other cheek against rumors and untruths and insightful um that wasn't meaning rolling over that wasn't that didn't mean that i just want that to be clear i I know you don't roll over jim i I know you don't but i just want (laughs) you know i don't know everyone that's listening um but um as as you and jennifer have said and um, senator yoder mobilize and strategize um because i believe our next uh challenge our next goal is to flip more seats two years from now I, i think that's the next thing that we really have to work on um and that will give some um, uh, some levity um, for the current president in order to get some things done. Um, we were all happy when President Obama was elected, um, twice in fact, but when you're working up against a majority on the opposite party to get things done, um, so the next thing is two years from now, we gotta flip some seats so that we can actually see realize some of the things we know that's needed. Uh, Jennifer, I'm glad you brought up Georgia. Because Georgia represents something that that is kind of frustrating, at least in my mind, across the country. What I've what I call split decision voting. Now, Biden took Georgia, right? He squeaked that one out, right? So you have a state who votes against Donald Trump and his policies, but they would vote for a state senator with the 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 same ideology. And, and you see that in state after state after state. And uh, I think that it makes it very difficult for the, the new president to uh, effectively govern. And it also makes it difficult to get past... Uh, some of these uh, Republican strongholds that, that we're having to fight against so, so much of the time. Thoughts, anyone? Yeah, agree. Yeah, um, I think you'll see some change moving forward. I think the Lindsey Grahams of the world will change their um, rhetoric to a certain extent as we move forward because it will, there's no longer the fear of our most executive elected person to just chew you up in social media and and degrade you and that sort of thing. Um, I also know or believe that as we move forward, that is unacceptable rhetoric. It is unacceptable speech. And I think with uh, uh, President Trump gone, then others will be a lot more likely to call out each other or some in some cases and tone that down because that's just not going to. So I anticipate not a, a total 180, that's just not gonna happen. Um, my only question is, um, does the overt become covert and then there's no real changes? Well, Jim, remember what Beverly said, 
the rallies are still going to be there after he leaves, and even more so with the tweets. Oh, I agree. His tweets have done more to keep Republicans in line than anything else. I think um, I I, I totally agree with that, and they're going to still keep coming. Um, But when you have some social medias that if you tweet the wrong thing, they just, and it's just flat out lies and it's, and they just say, no, we're not going to promote that type of uh, insight, a right for insightful to violence. Okay. So Folks, we got that, about two minutes left. I think that's minimized a lot of that stuff here in the last couple of weeks. But we got about two minutes left. So I want to go around the horn and give everybody the chance to get in some last thoughts. We'll start with uh, Shelly. Go ahead, please. I want to encourage everybody to, do what they can in Georgia. You can do it from home. You can do call phone banking from home right here in Bloomington. You can, if you have any dollars to be able to give to these two races, please give them. You can also do texting from home. So reach out to uh, the party. You can reach out to Chair Crossley and find out ways that we can get involved. And we'll make sure we have those clear. Number two, we have an opportunity to make sure that we have leadership uh, come March and for in the next few months to make sure that we elect uh, our state chair who's going to lead us in the direction of the things that we talked about here tonight. That's gonna be so important and we can have a great deal of influence on the direction of at least the Democratic Party in the state of Indiana. And I also wanna say to each of us that we just need to continue to do our own work. I'm saying this to my white siblings out there, continue to do your work, uh, talk to your family members and it's, we have so much work yet to do, and it really is uh, that important. Uh, yes, we're excited about the results of the election, but that's just one election. We have uh, so much more work to do. Bev, your turn. Um, and I agree with everything Shelley said. I won't take a lot of time, but you know, do what you can, and whether that is is in other states, whether that's local, I think this all this affects everybody and we've got to do what we can. And, you know, go to your city council meetings and go to your your party meetings um, here in town too and find out what the issues are, how they impact you, be an educated uh, voter. And, um, but, you know, if you can give, give time, money, whatever it is. Jim? Thank you. Um, and, and we've talked about national uh, government, state government. I really want to emphasize uh, the importance of local government um, and, and the grassroots uh, platform and progress. Um, we have a lot of, of ground to make up to, from an a anti-racist standpoint. Um, and so let's concentrate on localities and, and we'll move forward. And don't, don't forget state and national. Jennifer. I'll be real quick mobilize to strategize to energize and do not become complacent because if you become complacent let november 8 2016 remind you what complacent got us that's right okay amen very interesting discussion i want to thank <laughs> all of you beverly calendar anderson jennifer crossley Shelly Yoder and Jim Sims, thank you all for coming on tonight to offer insight into what lies ahead for the president-elect and the nation. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Please send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, bring it on at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker for WFHB. I'm William Hosea. Please be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On. Hey, William. Yeah. You uh, got cut off by the station ID right at the end. (laughs) Sorry about that. I I tried to uh, message you like five seconds, four seconds. Uh, I didn't didn't get it. I'm sorry. I don't think Were you sending a text or? I was uh, just chat in the Zoom. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. not here. Oh, I, I think I accidentally sent it to Jim. I'm yeah. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Jim, we're going to cut off here. <laughs> it's because it's, it's I messaged Whoops. Jim earlier about the TV, and then it was just saved there. I'm sorry. 